the NFL Power Rankings podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime is a new app that tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And if sports aren't your thing, GameTime still has you covered with the best concert and theater ticket deals out there, perfect for a date or a night on the town. And paying could not be simpler with a simple two-tap process right from your mobile device. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest ways to get into the game. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome back to the Athletics NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter for The Athletic. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor at The Athletic. We are through week seven, and it finally feels like things are starting to kind of settle down a little bit. It kind of felt like week seven was a separation week as we went through our panelists and we tried to figure out what our one through 32 look like. It feels like we've got a pretty clear top 10 or 12 teams and also a very clear bottom seven or eight teams where we're starting to figure out kind of what the playoff picture is going to look like, what the real hierarchy of the NFL looks like. Right now, we also had to deal with some kind of complicated questions like with the Kansas City Chiefs, how far do they fall after a Patrick Mahomes injury that actually does not seem to be as bad as it first looked there on Thursday night. Um, and then, you know, how high do, you know, how high does a team like Dallas climb after a real statement went on Sunday night after such a terrible win or terrible loss in week six? So those are all the things that we kind of covered this week. We're going to get to all of that today on the podcast. And we're also going to have a special guest, Chad Graff, the Vikings beat reporter from The Athletic, is going to join us in a little bit to talk about the Vikings, their Thursday night game um, against Washington and what maybe we can expect from this suddenly awesome Vikings offense. And so as always, just a quick reminder that these rankings are a composite of votes from our staff of NFL reporters and editors. So it's not just Lindsay, even though her byline is on the piece, she is not responsible for solely ranking these. So you can direct your rage at all of us, not just Lindsay. Um, you can find our full rankings, 1 through 32, plus some fun gifts that I like to choose every week. And um, they're live now on The Athletic, so you can leave us your comments. And as you'll see at the bottom of this podcast, we do read them and uh, we enjoy them even when you're yelling at us. So uh, we're going to address some of your concerns later on today as well. And so let's just get started here with the bottom five. Top five, bottom five. So our bottom five, 28, New York Jets, 29, Atlanta Falcons, 30, Washington Redskins, 31, Cincinnati Bengals, and 32, Miami Dolphins. They've been there the entire time. I guess I kind of read that <laughs> the, the reverse way than I usually do, but that bottom five is pretty much exactly the same as last week, I believe. I don't think any of those spots are different. Um, Lindsay, anything of note between that, the pretty, uh, pretty expected bottom five? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty clear bottom five, although there are a couple other teams that I think could probably be in the mix for just, you know, really bad teams that are in a bad situation. You know, I really considered putting the Denver Broncos in there, although after what we saw from the New York Jets on Monday Night Football against the Patriots, there's just no way that the Jets aren't in the bottom five. Um, I think the one thing that was kind of interesting to me with with my own personal ballot was you know, I guess if you guys have been listening to the podcast, you know, you guys know that I haven't been sold on keeping the Dolphins at number 32 just because they're winless and are tanking. Um, 
in previous weeks, I put other teams last. I put the Jets last back when they were just a complete disaster down to their third string quarterback. I put Washington last at some point, you know, actually before their game with the Dolphins, just because, you know, they, they fired their coach, their quarterback situation is a mess. You know, they're a team that spent a lot of money um, and was acting like they were trying to win, but was failing miserably. So actually this week, um, I put the Cincinnati Bengals last. I put them at number 32. And I tweeted this on Sunday afternoon as we were watching the games and as the Bengals were kind of you know, imploding in their home game against the Jacksonville Jaguars while the Miami Dolphins were, you know, making things interesting, to say the least, uh, against the Bills. I kind of put it out there to our Twitter followers and said, wait, are the Bengals the new bottom team? And, you know, I think there were some people who responded and, you know, make a good argument that, look, the Dolphins are tanking. And if you're not trying to win, then you don't deserve to be any higher than number 32. Um, but I, you know, I just think like how bad the Bengals are right now. And if you, you know, you try to imagine, okay, if these two teams were playing each other, who's actually better? And if this is really a power rankings of ranking is, you know, who's putting the worst performance on the field week to week, I think you could make a very strong case that the Bengals are are last and are the playing the worst of any team in the league right now. And, you know, luckily for all of us, we're going to get to see them play head to head December 22nd. That's a long <laughs> way from now. But right now I actually have the Bengals last and um, I really hope that they, you know, make some moves at the trade deadline and really just start thinking about 2020. So I actually did the same thing. I also had the Bengals at 32. Um, and actually, based on our commenters, uh, what they're saying so far, it seems like a lot of them think that the Bengals should probably be 32. They seem there are a lot of like Bengals are even worse right now. And of course, they do have seven losses. Um, they have just looked pretty dreadful. And they're just completely irrelevant right now, which I think at least the Dolphins have the like, they're trying to lose and like looking for 2020 and all the talk about how bad they are. No one's even talking really about how awful the Bengals are. They just are going out there and losing every week and just really looking awful as they do it. And um, yeah, I, th- I think another kind of interesting point is like if you look at this bottom five and their, the head coaching situation of this entire bottom five, at least coming into the season with the head coaches that they had coming into the season um, right now, it really does feel like. Brian Flores might be the only one whose job appears to be like relatively safe. I don't think that any of the first year coaches are going to get fired, but there's a lot of chatter right now of Adam Gase uh, pretty much being a failure with the Jets. Um, and obviously some of that stuff is out of his control. It's Arnold's mono diagnosis, but still, you know, they've been really bad. Um, Jay Gruden already fired Dan Quinn. That's coming, I think probably in, after their bye week. Um, and then, uh, Zach Taylor with the Bengals has looked like he's just not ready at all for this head coaching job. So it's funny. I do think the fact that the Dolphins, like we all expect them to be losing and tanking, has kind of put Brian Flores in a position where he's obviously like they're looking toward 2020. So he's going to be back, whereas it does seem like the rest of these teams are like a little bit in flux with their leadership positions right now. There's a lot of spe- like there's just a lot of unhappy fans with the current head coaching situation of four out of five of these teams. Yeah, it's just miserable, I think, to be a fan of any one of those teams in the bottom five. Um, Our boss at The Athletic, Adam Hansman, um, one of the founders of The Athletic, is a lifelong diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. And he and I were exchanging some messages yesterday about just how miserable, how miserable that is right now. And, um, you know, I, I feel for you guys, man, I, I wouldn't go to the games, I would, you know, find all sorts of other things to do on Sunday afternoon, because it's just 
uh, unbearable to watch those teams. So let's move on from the dumpster <laughs> fires that is the bottom five and let's move into our top five or teams that are playing really well and look like they're well on their way to the playoffs right now. So our new top five is number five, the Minnesota Vikings, number four, the Green Bay Packers, number three, the San Francisco 49ers, number two, the New Orleans Saints, and number one, the New England Patriots. So I think what's notable here is that the Vikings are making their very first appearance in our top five. And we're going to get more into the Vikings here in just a minute when we have Chad, when Chad Graff, the Vikings beat writer for The Athletic, joins us. Um, but I think it's also really interesting that there are four NFC teams there in the top five. Um, you know, I, I think they're they're very much separating themselves, but it's just showing kind of what we see year to year to year where it seems like the the AFC we just know who's going to have home field advantage, who the number one, maybe the number two seed in the AFC is going to be with the New England Patriots, where the NFC just seems so much, so much more wide open right now. And it's really setting up for a very fun second half of the season as we, you know, figure out who's going to win some of these division races. Because yeah, while the New Orleans Saints, you know, I think they're, you know, they're our number two team. They're certainly the favorite to win the uh the NFC South right now. The Panthers are also playing really well and are going to certainly be a team to watch. That division is far from over. The NFC North is going to be so competitive, especially between the Vikings and the Packers over the next couple of weeks. Um, So there's just a lot of really fun stuff coming up in the NFC right now. So what do you see, Amy, when you look at that top five? Yeah, I mean, I actually flipped one order here. So I in past weeks, I've kind of been defending the 49ers because I felt like it took a while for us to actually have them in the top five or the top three. Um, and this week, I actually not because of anything they did. Obviously, the game was really rainy conditions and everything and their defense still play, played well, considering they were sliding all over the place. Um, I actually put the 49ers fourth and the Green Bay Packers third. Um, this was kind of the first week that I truly felt like the Packers are are up in the top two teams in that conference, um, mostly because we kind of finally had that game from Aaron Rodgers that people have been waiting for. Not that he hasn't been playing really, really well all season because he has, but, you know, the kind of game that he had five touchdowns and a perfect, actually a perfect game, a perfect rating. Um, he had 20, he threw for 20 or more yards to six different receivers. He was averaging 13.8 yards per attempt. Um, it just showed how really scary the Packers can be. And I think that we've seen that all year long with how really great their defense has been um, and how solid and reliable Rodgers has been. But when you see those things work together at their absolute peak and like maximum capacity the way they did on Sunday, it's really difficult to see them uh, as anything less than one of the top two teams in the NFC. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I I still had the Niners uh, above them in my power rankings because their defense is so good. Um, And I think right now my top three teams were as they are in our overall rankings with the Niners, Saints and the Patriots. And while, you know, we talk about their offenses so much with those three teams, it's really they're the three best defenses in the league right now. They're my favorite three defenses to watch. Um, kind of week in and week out. So that's why I have those teams as my as my top three. And you know, you gotta give gotta give the Niners credit for a shutout in that yeah, disgusting, definitely. disgusting definitely. weather. Um, so yeah, that's where I have my uh my top three. But I think it's about time that we should bring in Chad Graff, our Vikings beat writer for the athletic, to kind of get his take on everything that's going on in Minnesota, especially as they head into the Thursday night football game, the Kirk Cousins revenge game against the Washington Redskins. Hi, Chad. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. 
Well, so the Vikings are now in our top five for the first time this season. So can you just take us back through what's happened in Minnesota over the last month or so from that really frustrating, disappointing loss to the Bears to this offensive explosion that we've seen over the last three weeks or so? How really did this all come about? Yeah, I mean, it really is crazy. Uh, I think that they fell out of the top 10 after that Chicago game, and frankly, with good reason. They were 2-2 two and two at the time. They looked horrible against the Bears, and, you know, of course, it's still the Bears' defense and everything, but they put up six points. Kirk Cousins was horrible, and, and things were so bad that the next day, Stefan Diggs just didn't show up to practice, didn't show up Monday, the <laughs> Tuesday off, didn't show up Wednesday. Like, things were so bad here in Minnesota that one of the star wide receivers was just like, nope, I'm out. Uh, and then somehow uh, they have gone straight from that into three straight wins that are three of the most impressive wins uh, that they've had since Kirk Cousins came. And I think a lot of the credit goes to offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski. Um, what he has been able to do with Kirk Cousins has really been remarkable in that Chicago game. The offensive line was very poor. Kirk Cousins was under pressure a lot. And so what they have responded by doing is using a ton of play action, more than any other team in the NFL. And it's amazing that play action is as successful as it is. And, and you know, it's something that we've looked into a bit. And I think a lot of it stems from just the fact that linebackers are taught from the time they're six and seven years old. First step is always forward. First step is always forward. And so with all of these play actions, uh, Kirk Cousins is getting time now to sort of roll, reset the pocket, and, and it takes advantage of uh, the fact that the Vikings don't have the best offensive line that he can reset, and, and it's turned into really some remarkable numbers. He's exceeded 300 yards in each of the last three games, has eight touchdowns in his last two games. This is the best Kirk Cousins has played in his entire career, and this, frankly, is what the Vikings envisioned when they signed him and when they brought him here. Um, not what resulted last year, of course, when they only won eight games. And is this something that you think that he's going to be able to keep going moving forward this season? I mean, obviously Thursday night against Washington. So what do you what do you kind of see from him going forward for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question, or, yeah. or in his case, the $28 million <laughs> question. Uh, I think that he'll be able to continue a, a large part of this. I don't know that he'll be able to um, you know, do what he did against Detroit, which was 337 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, a 141 passer rating. Uh, but it, it probably will happen again this week as he goes up against his former team, who this week, you know, he had very pleasant things to say about them. It, make no mistake, things did not end well with his time there. Washington effectively, you know, gave up on him, decided that they were going to pursue other options, which just doesn't happen in the NFL with a, a quarterback who you think is your franchise quarterback or, or who seems that way. Um, and so he has spoken, you know, in the past about frustrations and, and how that ended. But this week, only pleasant things to say. He said 31 other teams had a chance to draft me and nobody did except this team. So I'm still incredibly thankful and gracious to them. Uh, of course, you know, all the things that you would expect Kirk Cousins, a very polished talker. Uh, to say. So I think it'll keep going because Washington's not very good. And then after that, they get a Kansas City team probably without Patrick Mahomes. So there, there's a very real chance that the Vikings are seven and two and, and continue this and, and have it rolling. And, and I think Kirk Cousins 
will probably continue this level of play because Kirk Cousins has played well when he has had a good offensive coordinator. He worked one year with Sean McVay. He worked one year with Kyle Shanahan. When he was with those two guys, he has put up some big numbers and been a pretty good quarterback. Um, one of the faults, of course, you could say is, is what he has done or, or rather has not done in big games. But with what Kevin Stefanski is having him do, with the way that the Vikings are also running the football with Dalvin Cook, I do think, amazingly, and I think this is kind of the the feeling of Minnesota, is uh, cautiously, they can't believe they're they're buying in. They, they're into this. Kirk Cousins is is the guy now. <laughs> yeah, and you you actually just mentioned Dalvin Cook, who is a guy who I don't think we're talking enough about, and probably probably because a lot of that is it's a lot more fun to talk about kind of the the struggles of the offense or all the drama that's been going on with the wide receivers. But when you look at the Vikings' running game and what Stefanski and Gary Kubiak have designed, what should we appreciate about what Dalvin Cook has been doing? What's really jumped out at you about him? Yeah, well, I'm sure you know from covering Gary Kubiak, but he loves uh, the zone rushing scheme. And so that, you know, it really, I think, plays into Dalvin's strengths where he can sort of make one cut and jump straight upfield. He's got a ton of speed. He's a tough runner. Uh, he is the guy, you know, as the Vikings now prepare for Adrian Peterson to come back to Minnesota, um, now the running back with Washington. Dalvin Cook, it's easy to, you know, forget was the guy that they drafted to replace Adrian Peterson. Uh, and this is the first season that they are seeing him live up to exactly what they had hoped for. Now, the Vikings have not had a very good offensive line since he's been here, but it's sort of getting better. I think that Gary Kubiak's scheme and, and what um, Kevin Stefanski is doing is helping alleviate some of the issues that they have had in the offensive line because it, it's just been pretty poor the last couple of years. And, and I still don't know that it's even an average offensive line, but you know, I think that they can confidently say they're no longer bottom five, which was where a lot of the issues came from. Because for a lot of this, Dalvin Cook's yards were coming after contact. Like he was creating all of this, even while being hit in the back, even while being hit at the line of scrimmage. So uh, what he has been able to do is rather remarkable. And I think what you saw from the Vikings in their last game when they went to Detroit is essentially what Kevin Stefanski and Gary Kubiak want to be doing, which Dalvin Cook got 25 carries, uh, the offense, you know, was utilizing play action and it was the balanced offense that Mike Zimmer talked all offseason about wanting. And now he is finally getting it. So, Chad, obviously you follow the NFC North very, very closely, and it's one of the most intriguing divisions in the league. We've kind of been ping ponging the teams and our power rankings here for a while. How do you see the division playing out? How would you predict kind of the way that that's going to finish? Obviously, there's a lot of drama surrounding the Bears right now. How, how do you see it uh, finishing out this this season? Just a couple of weeks ago, it looked like any team could have been in it. And then, of course, the Lions and the Bears falter a little bit. And so I do think that it is probably a two-horse race with the Vikings and the Packers. And I know a lot of Vikings fans here are rather optimistic because while uh, the Packers are at the top of the division right now, six and one compared to the Vikings at five and two. A lot of people here are looking at it like, well, you know, the the Packers barely beat the Vikings. It was only because of a bad Kirk Cousins decision that Green Bay won that game at home nonetheless. And then, you know, they almost slash probably should have lost to the Lions in that Monday night game when um, Trey Flowers was called for a couple of penalties that were suspect at best. So, Given all of that, I think that the Vikings like the position that they're in. They're the ones that have 
they've played all three division teams so far, and all three of them have been on the road. So as we move into the second half of the season, they've got all of these big games at home, which I think really bodes well for them. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's probably a two horse race. I, I, I like the Vikings a little bit more than the Packers right now, but I think that they are very similar teams, which, you know, is a crazy thing to say about one team quarterback <laughs> yeah. by Kirk Cousins and one by Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. But here we are. It feels like, I don't know, some of the Vikings fans in the comments are like, I'm just waiting for this to all go horribly wrong. But right now <laughs> it seems like the Vikings attitude for like two decades. <laughs> Well, Chad, we've got I've got one more quick question before we let you go. And it's kind of exactly what we were just talking about right now, because this is the Power Rankings podcast. Vikings fans love to get into our comments and yell at us, me specifically, <laughs> um, usually. But we have them at five right now. Did we get it right? And where do you think they could go um, after this week against Washington? I think you got it right, which is I, I, I'm along with everybody else in Minnesota, which is like cautiously <laughs> optimistic that they have all of the numbers would tell you that this is a Super Bowl contender. Really, the only thing I think that's holding them back from being viewed nationwide as a Super Bowl contender is that they're the Minnesota Vikings with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Like that, that to <laughs> me is the only reason. And everything that they pass the eye test when you watch them, they've got a good running game. They've got a good defense. Kirk Cousins is playing well. They pass the advanced numbers, you know, with a very good DVOA, with a very good average net yards per attempt, even opponent adjusted. Everything tells you that this is a very good team, but because the Vikings are always, uh, you know, one step from heartbreak, everybody I think is kind of just waiting for things to go horribly wrong. But I, I think it'll probably, you know, if history is any indication, they'll be very good and raise expectations and people here will be super excited and then it will fall apart in heartbreaking <laughs> fashion. All right. You hear the Viking says that was Chad saying that, not me. <laughs> so, they know where to find me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chad. We can't wait to uh, see what happens with the Vikings this week and make sure you guys are following Chad. Chad, can you tell people where to follow you on Twitter? And uh, if you also want to plug your podcast. Sure. We do a twice a week podcast called the Straight Cash Podcast, a, a, a reference to, of course, Randy Moss. And you can follow me on Twitter at Chad Graff. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. Thank you. We hear you. All right. So to very quickly wrap up our Vikings talk here, we're going to go into our We Hear You segment. And the first one is someone, as we said at the top, some of you like to yell at us. Um, This is a comment from Stephen B. And I'm going to give Lindsay the floor here to defend herself. Uh, Stephen B. says, oh, my gosh, am I seeing this right? The Vikings actually getting respect from Lindsay, the Vikings hater Jones, never thought I'd see the day. Lindsay, the Vikings hater Jones, would you like to uh, counter that comment? Well, thank you for reading, first of all, and commenting. We uh, we we love to hear your responses. Um, and I just want to point out that I don't think I've ever actually hated the Vikings. I think it all started from week one where they actually, the Vikings actually fell backwards just a little bit. They, they they didn't move up after they had a really dominant win against the Falcons in week one. And I was never hating on them. One, we all voted. <laughs> the yes, entire panel had true. them move back slightly. Um, but I think what I was, you know, every time that I maybe said anything that wasn't entirely positive about the Vikings was concern about how unbalanced the offense was and how over-reliant they were on their running game and kind of concerns about what would potentially happen when they couldn't 
count on 120 plus yards or whatever from Dalvin Cook um, week to week that we just needed to see more. And as Chad just mentioned in our last segment, you know, I think the the most down all of us were on the on the Vikings was, you know, three. Uh, yes. Yeah. Three weeks ago after that loss to the Bears. And look, we weren't the only ones. Stephon Diggs didn't show up for work. Yeah. You know, Adam Thielen was calling out his his, court, uh, his quarterback and, you know, it was, it was a lot of drama. So, you know, I think what what's happened now is that we're just seeing that the Vikings are just such a complete team now and they're a much more balanced offense and that's made them really, really, really fun to watch. And, you know, if they keep playing like that, they're going to keep climbing in our top five and I'm going to keep writing lots more nice things about the Vikings. <laughs> so you can never consider me a Vikings hater anymore. <laughs> and yeah, just a, another reminder that we all vote on this. It is not just Lindsay who decides that she hates the Vikings. This is a, a group <laughs> effort of voting. You can blame all of us for hating the Vikings. And um, I would like to point out that on our bonus pod last week i had uh minneapolis and u.s bank stadium very as true. one of my top five nfl very, trips, very so. true how could you hate the vikings i mean come on and um okay so we have another comment here that i actually uh would like to bring up because i kind of agree with it it's from aaron m who says how could the eagles have not dropped into the 20s at this point the team barely looks like they even care to try to win a football game. Now, I actually did have the Eagles at number 20. Uh, I think they finished off at 16, Lindsay, right? Yes, this they're 16. But yes, you have them the lowest of anybody on our panel there at yeah. number 20. And I think with that, with me, it, it's when I kind of vote for these things, I do take uh, kind of perception and what we disappointment into account, I would say like the Eagles have just looked very flat and really uninspiring the last few weeks. And so a team that would be graded around them, like say the Jaguars, right? That team, you know, same record, but they've, they have a little bit more momentum. It seems at least than the Eagles have had recently, just a really disappointing effort from a team that we all thought was going to be one of the top teams in the whole league this year. Um, so, yeah, I did have them at number 20 this week. And uh, Lindsay, I, I know that everyone else kind of had them around the 14 to 16 range, but I, I was surprised that they didn't drop a little bit lower. It was only a two spot drop. But uh, as Lindsay brought up earlier to me when we were talking about this before, it has I think it was it's a nine spot total drop over two weeks. Right. So yes. I think yeah. it, the big drop came last week. So this drop was a little bit more of a, a, a less of a dramatic drop off as we kind of saw that was a theme with everything this week. No one really had a big rise or a big fall either way. But um, yeah, I, I am surprised that they're not a little bit lower considering how really like crappy they've been playing the last couple of weeks. Yeah, when I was going through um, all of the the final tallies um, late Monday night, just as I was looking at the kind of the final order after everybody had gone back through and if they needed to tweak ballots after Monday Night Football, which did not need to happen this week, <laughs> thanks to the Patriots just blowing out the Jets. Um, I was surprised that it was only two spots, but then I went back and looked and, you know, I had them only back two spots. So, yeah. you know, I think it just says a lot about kind of where where the rest of the league is at, that there's, you know, like we mentioned at the top of this podcast, there's, you know, maybe 10 really good teams. And then there's, you know, 10 to 15 that are just kind of like, blah right now and trying to figure out who's worse than who and what future projections are like and all of those sorts of things. So I think that's a fair, uh, a fair criticism for sure. And the Eagles defense, especially, I think deserves to be, um, to be much lower down. And I'm really curious to see if they're able to do anything, um, here over the next week to really improve themselves and get themselves back into the NFC East. And then the last couple of comments to just touch on very quickly, we're about the top of our order. We've had this a couple of weeks in a row um, now of people kind of questioning the top two or three. 
Um, so Mike M said New Orleans should be number one. New England has not played anybody. They do look really impressive, though. So definitely two or three with San Francisco being in discussion. And then right below that or a little bit below that, Cody B says, how are the Saints ranked above the Niners still? So there's just I think that the kind of these two conflicting comments do show like I think we have it right with our our top five or at least of, of just like it could really you could really make an argument for any of those teams that they deserve one of the top two spots. Um, obviously, schedule comes into play with both the 49ers and the Patriots. But at this point, I think we've played enough games that if you're undefeated, like you deserve a good amount of respect, regardless of what your schedules looked like. Well, yeah. And then, you know, it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing right now where you look at the Patriots and yes, their schedule looks terrible, but does their schedule also look terrible because they've been just destroying teams? I mean, what they're doing defensively right now is, you know, it's it's really unheard of. I mean, the Niners are also kind of on like a historic defensive type pace and those two teams are significantly ahead of everybody else. But, you know, you watch the Patriots, if you watch the Patriots defense, yes, even if it's against, you know, the Giants or the Jets twice, the way that they're not just beating those teams, they are flat out dominating the opposing offenses that they're playing in. It's, and it's not even close. So, you know, until we see kind of a, a, a step back from that Patriots defense, I, I just don't see a situation where I take them out of the number one spot, even though I look at some of these other teams, especially the Saints, as I wrote in the blurb today, that I think they might be the most complete team just in terms of offense, defense, their offensive and defensive lines, the way that Sean Payton is calling the games. And then with the the idea that they're going to get Sean, uh, they're going to get Drew Brees back, you know, within the next couple of weeks. You know, I think that's all very promising for the Saints. But right now, I just can't take the Patriots out of the top spot with how good they're playing defensively. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Um, all right. We're going to get into power up here in a second. Lindsay, really quickly, do you have a game that you're most excited for for next week that could really impact these rankings? Um, Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing the Sunday night game. That's the Packers at the Chiefs because I'm so curious to look to see what the Chiefs offense is going to look like without Patrick Mahomes. You know, we saw a little glimpse of it when Matt Moore had to come in kind of in the second quarter on that Thursday night game in Denver. But now they'll have had basically 10 days to plan for, you know, what their game plan is going to look like. And, you know, if Matt Moore can survive in that sort of offense or if they're really going to have to do a lot of things differently. And, you know. Aaron Rodgers always must see TV to see if he can um, kind of have a field day against a Chiefs defense that looked really bad for a couple of weeks and then played really well against Denver. So that's my number one game of the week. Um, I will definitely be watching that one closely and DVRing it to go back and, you know, watch a lot of it really closely before the game pass is available. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer that I mean, everyone had this one marked for Mahomes versus Rodgers. But, you know, I think it'll still tell us a lot about the Chiefs and how they're going to do in this interlude that they have to get through without Mahomes. Um, really briefly for me, I'm, I'm kind of excited for we just talked about uh, the Eagles. They're actually at Buffalo this week. Um, so I think that's going to have pretty big implications, at least on our rankings both ways. I think the Eagles are going to take a really big drop uh, or at least be into that 20s range if they lose again. And Buffalo, a team that's been consistently uh, very strong all a year, I think that we could see them really making a jump uh, into that further into that top 10 if they're able to pull out another win. They still only have one loss. I feel like they're just kind of flying under the radar still. Um, so another win from them, I think, would really put them back on everyone's radars and, and it to be taken even more seriously than I think that they've already been uh, they've already been being treated. I think the furthest, I, I don't think they've ever been higher than nine on our power rankings. So I, I think that would change if they win again. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, th- I think maybe we're probably sleeping on them a little bit because of Josh Allen and his yeah. inconsistencies there. But, you know, this is a good chance to make a statement and to have a really good, another really strong defensive performance after, you know, they there were some lapses in their game against the Dolphins on Sunday where I started to wonder, oh, you know, here we go. Same old Bills again. But, you know, they can, they can put together a couple more, you know, big wins. I think the Eagles are probably one of the best remaining teams on their schedule. And we just talked about how bad we think the Eagles are. So, you know, this is a chance for the the Bills to really kind of prove they're for real and also kind of cement themselves as a wildcard team. Yeah. Power up, power down. All right. And so now we're up to power up, power down. Uh, Lindsay, you want to start? Yeah, I'm going to power up to the NFL trade market. And we are one week away from the NFL trade deadline. And we're going to be getting more into uh, all the trades and potential trades we'd like to see on our bonus episode of the Athletic NFL Power Rankings podcast later this week. So that's a little teaser for that. But it's been really fun to see the NFL become a much more trade-friendly environment over the last couple of years. I mean, I think my first probably 10 years or so covering the NFL, you didn't even pay attention to the trade deadline because it just didn't really matter. You know, it was a little, it used to be a little bit earlier. They pushed it back um, a couple of weeks, a couple of seasons ago to, you know, try to stimulate the trade market. Teams would have some more desperate needs and, uh, and issues, but you're seeing teams right now just be a lot more willing to go out and get a player that they think can help them right away or shedding salary. So, you know, last Tuesday, while we were taping the podcast, there were a couple massive trades with um, Marcus Peters going from the Rams to the Ravens. He had a pick six in his first game with the Ravens back in Seattle, where he played in college. Um, And then Jalen Ramsey going from the Jaguars to the Rams. I mean, those are some massive trades that were happening two weeks before the deadline. And then, you know, today, this is Tuesday, we've already seen a couple more trades with the Falcons trading Mohamed Sanu, the wide receiver who also is a really sneaky good quarterback uh, to the New England Patriots. I'm just waiting. You know, I, I can already picture it now, you know, Super Bowl MVP, Mohamed Sanu. That's my pick. Just we'll, we'll come back to this in February. Um, so they traded uh, and they got a second round pick, which I think is a really that's a great deal uh, for the Falcons to get a second round pick for that for Mohamed Sanu. And then uh, the Denver Broncos sent Emmanuel Sanders, their veteran wide receiver, to the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, those are some massive trades. I mean, these are you know, really good, really important players who are switching teams in the middle of a season. We used to see it would be used to be rare to see one of these type of trades. And now we're seeing them happen, you know, multiple trades on a day. And so I think it's only going to get a little bit more interesting as we head into the trade deadline next week. It makes it fun to cover. It's fun for fans. And uh, it really adds kind of a new interesting element uh, to the NFL at midseason. Yeah, and we'll be obviously following that very closely here, and we'll be doing some grade trades and all that fun stuff. So we're excited for that. Um, my power down, I'm going to power down this week. It's pretty quick one. It's just a personal preference, a rule I just really don't like that I was reminded of this week. And there's not necessarily anything that I'm like arguing to be changed. I just really don't like the rule that when you fumble, as Derek Carr did, again, uh, <laughs> out of bounds, uh, out of bounds into the end zone over the pylon on the sidelines, that that results in a change of possession. Um, I just really don't like that rule. I just, you know, obviously we saw it was a pretty close game at that point. And, and for that to impact the game so dramatically as it did, 
it just feels like it doesn't really align with the way that the game is officiated otherwise. Like when you fumble elsewhere on the field out of bounds, you don't lose possession if it's not touched. So it's just a rule I, I just like bothers me when I see it in action and it always happens. And again, it's like it's just always been the rule. So I'm not necessarily arguing that they necessarily do anything to change it immediately. I just was. Oh, they should change. It. I do think they should. And I have a suggestion. I mean, one of the things I do think they should change is like I think that they could you could still punish a player. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Derek Carr's like inability to not fumble out of bounds when he's reaching over into the end zone. He's done this multiple times now. Like, don't do it. And you should be punished if you do it. Like, you could still have a situation where perhaps you are penalized, say, 15 yards if you fumble out of bounds and or 10 yards, whatever it is. The same way that like if you if kick off out of bounds, right, then you're penalized for that. There could be something like that put in place that does not necessarily mean that you have to lose possession. And it just bothers me. And again, I don't think there's necessarily going to be anything done about it. But it's just a rule that I really don't like. And I was reminded of again when it happened to Derek Carr and really just completely changed the course of that entire game in one play. Um, and so it just bothered me. And so that's my power down. <laughs> well, and the ridiculous thing was that this has happened to Derek Carr before. before. Yep, it happened to exactly. him in a game against the Cowboys exactly. a years ago, the exact same play. Yeah. So, you know, one, he should have known yeah, better. You need to know um, better. Than quarterback that, stopped but... doing it. But here's how it's going to change is when Tom Brady dives for the pylon in the AFC championship game and it becomes a controversy or Drew Brees has it happen in the NFC championship game. That's how it's going to change. It's not going to change from Derek Carr in week seven <laughs> yeah, exactly. of the regular season. <laughs> but if it's one of those type of plays that yep. if it changes the course of the game in a really crucial situation, because that's what the league likes to do. They like to make kind of these knee jerk reactions to a, a bad play uh, you know, and this is one that I think we could all agree needs to go away, um, as opposed to some of the other knee jerk uh, rule changes that we've made that we have covered extensively, both here on this podcast and on the athletics. So please, that's a shout out. Go check out our officiating roundtable that we talked about this week, because there's, I think, a lot of things that we could power down about officiating and we don't have time for that today. Um, all right. And so that wraps up another episode of our Power Rankings podcast. Uh, we will be back later this week with a bonus episode uh, about trades, right, Lindsay? We're going to do some trades that we're interested in. I know. I've already been kind of making a list and it seems like some of them have already happened. So, yeah, we're going to we're going to go through some of our favorite potential trades um, around the league and things we'd like to see in advance of the trade deadline. So make sure you're following us on The Athletic. You subscribe to The Athletic and you'll get that bonus podcast later this week. And then we will be back next week for our week eight power rankings podcast. We will see you then, guys.